0: The San Francisco Experience Podcast. Brought to you by Jim Herlihy. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley perspective for a global audience. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 24, Episode 15 A Digital U.S. Dollar The Pros and Cons. Talking with Nick Anthony. At the November APEC Conference in San Francisco, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with the 21 finance ministers of the member economies. On the agenda was the responsible development of central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Several APEC members already have official digital currencies, like China, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Thailand. And other non-APEC countries like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are well along in developing their own CBDCs. 11 countries in total have launched such currencies, and 19 of the G20 countries are in an advanced stage of development and implementation. So where does the United States and the EU stand, and why did Janet Yellen add a cautionary note to her call for, quote, responsible development of CBDCs? With us today to discuss the future of a U.S. dollar digital currency and how the rest of the world is moving in that direction is Nick Anthony. He's a policy analyst in the Cato Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives. He's also a fellow at the Human Rights Foundation. Welcome to the show, Nick.
1: Thank you for having me on, Jim. It's great to be here.
0: My pleasure. Nick, let me start with a question. First of all, take a few moments to tell us about your work on digital currencies at the Cato Institute.
1: Absolutely, so here at the Cato Institute Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives, I primarily work on central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, and that has a primary focus with how they impact financial privacy, freedom, and markets. How this kind of new, latest and greatest in some folks' eyes, technology is working and not working. That primarily takes the bulk of my time, because this is something that went from a very niche idea in, say, 2016, 17, and 18, to now being a leading policy discussion across the world. And as you noted, many countries have already pushed forward to launch their own CBDCs.
0: Mm -hmm. And Nick, what is the Human Rights Foundation?
1: The Human Rights Foundation is a nonprofit organization that promotes and protects human rights globally. Although what makes the Human Rights Foundation or HRF a a little more unique is that it also has a focus on closed and authoritarian societies. Nick,
0: let's start with the basics. What is a digital currency and how does it differ from today's money?
1: Well, I think it needs no introduction in the sense that most people know what a digital, a digital money is. They use prepaid cards, debit cards, and credit cards, and even payment apps. That's very common in today's world. But when it comes to a central bank digital currency, where we need this introduction and this exp- explanation is that it's a national digital currency that is a liability of the central bank. In other words, it's digital money that connects you to the central bank. And that's a big difference between the digital money we use today.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What is the position of the U.S. Treasury and the Federal Reserve on creating a digital U.S. dollar?
1: It's a tricky question, and it shouldn't be. This is something that should be a we're going to do it or we're not going to do it answer. But for folks who follow the Federal Reserve and are aware of the coded language often referred to as Fed speak, we've kind of gotten a hedged and clouded answer. It actually took until just the spring of this year that Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that the Federal Reserve needs congressional authority to launch some forms of CBDCs, but other forms, it's an open question. So while they're tentative, we don't have a clear answer on where they're going. Now, let's
0: look at China, for instance, because they have launched their e-yuan. And so in that case, has the the People's Bank of China, have they created an account for every single person in China? Is that the way it works? Or are they still at the early stages of rollout?
1: Kind of like the case in in the U.S., there's also a bit of a mixed bag here that gets a little complicated. I say that it's complicated because... China refers to its current system as a pilot, where they're still doing early rollout and testing. However, I think it's more accurate to call it a launched CBDC. For example, in Shenzhen alone, $1.5 million was given out in CBDC through the digital yuan to about 50,000 people. So we're talking about real people using real money for real transactions. Mm -hmm. So it is launched. And to your question about, though, does it have these individual accounts? It does. It has it through a payment app where you can connect it to your bank account, but you can use it directly on your phone where you have varying tiers for how much information about yourself you're willing to give up.
0: Now, obviously, if a central bank is willing to give us free money, I I I would put that in the pro category. I I don't think many of our fellow citizens would object to that (laughs) free money from Federal Reserve and a free account. But what are some of the cons? You mentioned privacy. Now, and of course, in the case of China if you were to use this wallet this electronic wallet every t- every purchase that you made for instance if you were buying books the title of books would be accessible through that wallet. I would get I, any information would be available through it. And to the extent that the central bank sa- asks you what information you would like to share or not share, I think most of us, particularly with regards to China, would look at that with a very jaundiced eye as regards whether or not that's going to be respected. I, I think most of us would would say. We would doubt that it would be respected. Tell us about some of the cons about having a central bank in charge of your basically issuing an account for you. And again, you, you hit on privacy. What are some of the other downsides or cons of a central bank, in our case, the Federal Reserve, issuing accounts like this for all 334 million people in the United States?
1: Well, a very easy example is to look at the legality of cannabis across the United States to consider how some states have decided that they want to legalize recreational cannabis use. And that poses already a bit of a problem where businesses, either dispensaries, farms, or otherwise, want to establish a proper running business A lot of times they have trouble trying to get just a today's bank account, a regular mundane business account, Mm -hmm. because banks are federally regulated and cannabis remains illegal at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Now, we can take this example and understand better how it will have vast impacts in the future if a CBDC is issued, because I'm hard pressed to think of any situation in which the Federal Reserve is going to process a transaction for cannabis in terms of it being legalized at the state level, but still illegal at the federal level. You get this clash of federal and state laws, and that's really one of the more mundane situations. You can also get into a mess where people start getting creative and see that they have these types of individual insights to people's financial activity Mm -hmm. and how they can go about shaping what they're allowed to do or not to do. And unfortunately, uh, we've seen all too well in recent history that politics can be a a volatile area. You can have retaliation from one side to the other. You can have people who really shouldn't be shaping the laws of this country uh, taking charge. And when those are the hands determining what you're able to do with your money, it only takes one or two slips down the wrong path to get to a very different world.
0: Actually, the cannabis example is a very good one. Of course, here in California, this I'm sure you're not surprised, but here in California, the sale of recreational cannabis is permitted. And of course, for the most part, that is a cash transaction. You know, people walk in with cash. They pay with cash most credit cards are not usable. And up until recently, ATM cards used to be available, but even they have been withdrawn as a method for payment for cannabis. So at this point, you have to walk in with your greenbacks and actually shell out hard cold cash to buy your cannabis. So at least you have, you have a fiat currency in which to pay for that, for that purchase. In the case of a CBDC, the way the law stands right now, that would be the purchase of cannabis would not be permitted through that wallet. So there's one big difference between using greenbacks or money versus a CBDC. One of the other, in terms of information, it, it occurred to me in this era where we're concerned about censorship, books have been banned and what have you. Do we really want? all of our purchases, whether they are books or whatever they are, to be recorded. And again, there might be an opt-out or an opt-in in terms of information, but I think most people would feel that even if you opted not to share that information there would always be a suspicion that it would be shared very sensitive personal information would be available at the federal level and americans are perhaps a little more sensitive to those privacy issues than than people in other countries so that's a significant issue i would think one of the other concerns that i've i've seen here in california particularly with the adoption of electronic Payments, And we've seen it, especially in Sweden, where virtually the whole country has gone electronic. Two classes of individuals, the immigrant community and the elderly community, whose adoption of electronic payment methods is much lower than the population as a whole, can be marginalized in terms of being able to buy uh, goods and services. How would a CBDC deal with that reluctance on the part of, say, the immigrant population and the elderly to abandon currency, greenbacks?
1: I do think that both are going to face particular challenges. For starters, looking at the elderly population, making something that is intuitive and easy to use and doesn't have a huge learning curve for someone who might not be familiar with the latest tech i think is hugely important and not an easy challenge to overcome with immigrants though you have another problem where how exactly are people going to be involved in the system mm-hmm. because we already have some central bankers around the world for instance in the at the european central bank saying that the use will be restricted to citizens Hmm. so it'll be restricted to native citizens within the euro area or within the european union there are costs and benefits that might influence that decision but when you get down to the ground level and you see you're actually cutting people off from the entire economy it becomes something very different and unfortunately i don't think enough policymakers are really grappling with that realizing that they're about to cut off many people from the economy central banks around the world i'll say do stress that they're not trying to replace cash with cbdc's however it's difficult to see it as any other Mm -hmm. thing with the way things are trending and to be fair while the majority have said that they do not wish to replace cash there are other central banks which specifically have said that if i recall correctly just about a a week or two ago the central bank of the solomon islands had specifically said they're rolling out a central bank digital currency to eliminate cash Mm -hmm. so where people on the either on the fringes of the economy or the elderly or immigrants are going to end up, I think it's going to be a tough situation no matter what.
0: At the outset, you mentioned that we have been going electronic for decades now. PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, Alipay, to say nothing of our debit cards. Is the CBDC essentially a solution to a problem that doesn't exist? I mean, at this point, for anyone who wants to make an an electronic payment, they can do so by going to a private sector entity like Apple Pay or PayPal or Venmo I just don't see what a US CBDC gives me in addition to what I have from my PayPal Venmo Apple Pay systems at least in terms of making payments and that's that would be the principal use of something like this. I, I don't see it as being a solution or being a necessary solution.
1: You are exactly right. As far as I can see, there is no unique solution here. And I think what helps frame this a little bit more to understand why these have taken over in in such a strong way is that one thing i invite everybody to to look at any chance i get because it's so interesting if you go on to google trends and you look at the term cbdc so just Mm -hmm. internet activity surrounding cbdc you see a huge spike over the last 10 years but that spike didn't happen until the summer of 2019 Mm -hmm. and so that gives way to a obvious question what happened in the summer of 2019. And that was when Facebook now meta had introduced plans for its own cryptocurrency, referred to as Libra. Mm -hmm. It never got off the ground. But you can see in, in reports in Politico, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, that politicians and central bankers were put into a panic. They felt they needed something to compete with this. And their answer at that point was a central bank digital currency, they wanted to stomp out the competition, in a sense. And we've gotten to this point where the only thing that was pushing that huge spike in activity was this fear of another option in the private sector. And Now that that's kind of gone away, especially since Libra never came to fruition, there was all this work done to make it, but there really wasn't a foundational need, a foundational reason, except for competing with the private sector. Mm -hmm. If we were talking about Instagram launching a digital currency to compete with Facebook's digital currency, that'd be a different conversation. But when it comes to the government taking on these new actions... We have to think about why exactly should the government do anything. And one of the primary reasons is to fill a market failure where there's an actual need not being fulfilled. And again, as you started, there are many ways to fill our needs to make digital payments. And so we don't need the government to to come swooping in here. It's really just not necessary at all.
0: You mentioned cryptocurrencies. It seems to me that most governments have been terrified at the prospect of a cryptocurrency. Of course, one of the greatest powers that a government has is the ability to issue its own currency. And that has been jealously guarded for hundreds, thousands of years, I would I would dare say. But the advent of the cryptocurrency in the 2010s, into the 2020s has really, in my view, has spooked the central bank as a very real threat to their unique ability to create money, to print money, to to essentially to run the economy. Talk to me about that and the fear that... Uh, so my theory is that the CBDC is a way for governments to sort of face off against cryptocurrency does that have any traction that idea
1: oh you're absolutely right and we can see it very clearly around the world bank of indonesia official judah Agung specifically told bloomberg i think it was last year that their plans to issue a cbdc is to combat cryptocurrencies in china just before their cbdc was introduced they uh, levied a ban on cryptocurrency trading and mining mm-hmm. in Nigeria. Just before they introduced their CBDC, they reminded banks that they were prohibited from working with cryptocurrencies. And even here in the United States, a member of Congress that signed on to one CBDC proposal also had another proposal to ban tech companies from offering financial services like cryptocurrencies. So we see this, really across the world as this kind of hand in hand movement to block the rise of cryptocurrencies, and then offer in or usher in central bank digital currencies. And I'll even briefly go just one further than what you said, because I think you're absolutely right, that central banks have enjoyed monopoly privileges for Mm -hmm. quite some time. And I think you're right that cryptocurrencies do offer a new sense of competition. And the one place i go further though, is I'd also add, I think something that's really interesting is they've also gotten people thinking about the role of money. Mm-hmm. Most people up until the last few years probably didn't know about the federal reserve or how money really works being monetary policy and interest rates and the like. But I think, one of the results of this rise of popularity of cryptocurrency is more people are just asking, what is money? Mm -hmm. What is currency? What is crypto and the like? And that's something that if you have a, a stale or stagnant monopoly, that is something that you're going to be worried about. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to see this new sense of competition injected so that people start making better choices. But I think it's very unfortunate to see that so many governments are responded responding by banning the competition. I think if you want to make a better dollar, a better yuan, a better naira, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. But not banning the competition.
0: Let's go back to the role of our central bank, the Federal Reserve. Of course, that was created in 1913. So the Federal Reserve, our central bank, has been around for 110 years. In the early part of the 19th century, there was a quasi-central bank called the United States National Bank, which, which failed, I think, under Andrew Jackson. So for, for the majority of our history, we have existed, and our economy functioned very well, thank you very much, without a central bank And in fact we've even had uh, you know the, the existence of a federal of a, of a national central bank even came into question during the recent elections in Argentina when the winner of the presidential election called for the abolition of the central bank in Argentina. Let's go back to during the 19th century before the Federal Reserve existed. banknotes were actually issued by banks, were they not? They were. And in fact, that's still the case, I believe, in Hong Kong, where actual Hong Kong dollar, if you look at the Hong Kong dollar, it's issued by the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation, HSBC, which is a which is a global bank. To the extent that for much of the 19th century, probably one of the eras of the greatest economic growth in the world, it was private sector banks which issued the currency. Now, there were certainly peaks and troughs. We had more depressions, and arguably having a central monetary authority helped to smooth out the economic cycles. But the point is, most of history has not. We have functioned quite well. Our economies have functioned quite well with, without a central bank. Again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm not I'm not saying <laughs> abolish the Fed or something. My, my point is, we have existed. Our economy flourished for many, many years before we had a central bank bank and and as i look at the emergence of these new cryptocurrencies are there any parallels between the way the 19th century economy uh, acted when you had private banks which were issuing their own currency is there a parallel there or am i going off on a tangent
1: oh that is such a good question you you got me so excited now <laughs> the uh I'm going to try to to restrain myself so I don't go through a couple hundred years of history. But on that note, let me just say, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the experience of free banking, a second edition of that book just came out. And that shows how exactly what you're talking about has happened across the world from Australia to Scotland, everywhere in between free banking or the state of private banks, offering their own money, issuing their own notes Mm -hmm. is something that is experienced throughout history. I'm very lucky to work alongside my colleague, George Selgin, who alongside Lawrence White and Kevin Dowd have really pioneered this research. Now, I said I was lucky to, or I am lucky to work alongside George Selgin. There's also another reason, though, and that gets back to your direct question, where do cryptocurrencies take any lessons or have any parallels from this history from what happened here and george selgin was actually somebody who was involved in the early creation of bitcoin where he was on the early mailing lists and his work had been referenced to show that people were trying to figure out how exactly do you do something like issue private money and that's when they stumbled on his work to see wait This is not new. This is something that has happened before. Uh And you have the same types of incentives and constraints at play. So it's new in the sense that cryptography is now the mechanism to control everything. Mm -hmm. And you have it on a digital system. But the idea of private money is very old and older than central banks.
0: We see that our central banks... They haven't been around for that long. Even the ones that have been around for a couple of centuries, like the Bank of England or the Banque de France, their roles in the past were much less than they are today. You know, in, in looking at this history, whenever you try to take power away from an entrenched bureaucracy, as in the case of a central bank, obviously there's going to be there's going to be opposition to it. But I feel as though we're not having an honest discussion. Our policymakers are not having an honest discussion with us and sharing this history of the nineteenth century, and sort of trying to cajole us into into thinking that, well, well, we'll give you this free, uh, this free CBDC account and maybe put a couple hundred bucks into the, into it, and hopefully that shuts you up. You continue to support uh, the role of the, of the uh, central bank. Having the central bank being the primary supporter of central bank, I, I think that the opposite side of the story just hasn't been told. And certainly, starting with the history would be a very helpful place to start.
1: Yes, I, I think you're exactly right. It's one that most people are just not familiar with at all. And unfortunately, there's, there's many problems with that. L- Lawrence White has, has done some great work on showing how the, if I'm not mistaken, at least this reference might be a little dated now, but the Federal Reserve itself is one of, if not the largest employer of PhD economists. Mm-hmm. So that alone makes a problem for critiquing the Federal Reserve However, you're absolutely right. People need to know what else is out there because one of my chief concerns with a central bank digital currency is that, just like you said, people will be given a, a few hundred bucks to open up accounts and accept it. And maybe it'll be pretty innocuous at the beginning. There'll be some privacy controls and there won't be huge limits on what you can and can't do but either through bureaucratic inertia or even a crisis history has shown that both the the central bank and the federal government at large won't hesitate to increase their roles in our lives so you only need those unfortunate sequences of of events to suddenly have something very different than what you started with. And the Federal Reserve is a prime example, Congress is a prime example, and so are the many agencies in between.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not to say that all regulation is bad. Post 9-11, and in fact, even before 9-11, we had, in the banking industry in particular, we had anti-money laundering policies that were handed down by the, by the Fed and the, the other regulators. Uh, and then, of course, post-9-11, financing of terrorist organizations also came under very close scrutiny. There, there's no question that there is a very legitimate role for regulation when it comes to dealing with bad actors, whether they be drug dealers or terrorists or human traffickers and individuals, institutions like that. I'm I'm all for regulating them, but but as I said, I, I I just don't see the utility of a CBDC for myself. I you know I'll continue to use my PayPal, my Apple Pal, uh, my ATM card, etc., and I can get along very well with those vehicles I, I don't need anything else i i tend to opt for financial services on an as need basis no need has been demonstrated to i have not felt any need to have a cbdc and it hasn't been demonstrated to me so it's not something that that i would opt for i don't see the utility of it
1: and that's what we're really seeing in practice around the world you're you're not alone at all i'm with you and so are many others just a quick case in point in china in the bahamas in jamaica and the eastern caribbean one thing that we have seen in practice is that these governments gave out handouts of anywhere from maybe 20 to a few hundred dollars Mm -hmm. and people opened accounts there were spikes where people opened the accounts to get the money and they spent the money or they withdrew it and then the wallets sat idle Mm -hmm. no one ever used them again and it's something that needs to be monitored carefully because you can see that spike and think lots of people wanted this but then when you look at the actual activity and you see everyone spent the free money and then left the innovation wasn't the CBDC, it was the free money that people wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be probably the largest challenge for CBDC proponents because there's the many risks to privacy, freedom, markets and the like that have to be contended with. But there's no reason to even approach those risks if there's no benefit in the first place, let alone a benefit to outweigh those. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't seen that.
0: Nick, who in Washington, of course, you're located in Washington, who in Washington is the the largest proponent? What group in Washington is the largest proponent of a, a central bank digital currency for the United
1: States? I think right now, it's probably a mix between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, Both have dialed it back quite a bit this past year, but both have also taken great steps to preserve their authority, whether that be a a legal gray area around their authority or just control over what they already have. And it's something that I think needs to be watched very carefully because the pandemic was a perfect illustration of how the federal reserve can launch many facilities seemingly overnight without much question looking back now i'm almost surprised that a cbdc wasn't launched during the pandemic itself probably the only thing that prevented that was that they didn't have the technology at the time
0: let me paint a scenario as i mentioned in the uh, at the outset 19 of the g20 countries are at fairly advanced stages of adopting digital currencies, including us, including us, mm-hmm. a, a central bank digital currency. What would the effect be, would there be any effect if we stood our ground and said, thank you very much, we just don't see the utility in this, we have a very sophisticated, well-developed market in the United States, for, particularly for transfers, electronic transfers, and we don't see the need for the Federal Reserve to be involved in this. Is that, is that a tenable position for the United States to hold if the other 19 members of G20, for instance, run down this path? And in other words, will we be dragged
1: into this because the rest of the
0: world has done it?
1: I think we might be dragged into it, but not because we're missing out. Well, not because we as citizens are missing out, but rather because officials have a fear of missing out. And what I mean by that is it's not because we're going to see this is the the greatest thing since sliced bread and we do need it to improve our daily lives. It's that somehow officials are going to be convinced that we need to have it or the world might end. Yet, curiously, the world has not ended. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I've seen just time and time again the same sort of arguments put forth by both central bankers and politicians where they say that without a CBDC, country Y will take over the world and country Z will lose its status on the, the world stage in terms of either its currency use or its prevalence in world trade. And I think the, the US dollar is Very lucky, or rather we're the ones that are lucky to have the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency, and that's not a position that the U.S. government should squander, but it's also not a position that is going to be determined by the status of the dollar being a CBDC or not. It's built on the rule of law, the strength of the economy, and the freedoms we have in this economy. So those things should be the things that are built out, that are strengthened further. If people are worried about a scenario where other countries have CBDCs, and we do not, unfortunately, whether politicians listen to that, that's a more complicated story. But that is how they should move forward if they are concerned.
0: Well, Nick, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, what are your closing thoughts about this concept of a CBDC issued by the Federal Reserve?
1: I think maybe the the biggest lesson here is if a CBDC comes to the U.S. market, many of the risks it introduces or would introduce are exacerbating existing problems whether that be financial privacy, financial control, or the like. There are many problems that are in the market already today. So as this conversation evolves, make sure that you're looking at where are these problems new and where are they existing ones? Because even if we prevent a CBDC from being launched in the United States, that doesn't mean the story is over. There's Mm -hmm. still much to be done to improve The U.S. economy.
0: And Nick, how can our listeners follow you?
1: So you can follow me on X or Twitter at econwithnick, or you can find all of my work at cato.org.
0: So your Twitter handle is at econwithnick. Yes. Okay. Nick, I want to thank you very much for having joined us today. It's been a very illuminating conversation. I, for one, was leaning against having a CBDC, but having listened to to your arguments, I'm now convinced it's not something I need to have at all right now. Thank you for that, that moment of clarity.
1: Well, thank you, Jim. This has been a great conversation. I'm very glad we got to get together.
0: I'll look forward to having you back again as this, this story continues to unfold because it's by no means is it over. Yes. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 481. Listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, 18 platforms in total, and join our listener audience in 60 countries. FeedSpot has recently recognized us as a top 25 California news podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience Podcast with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.